Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I want to let everybody know that I'm supposedly going to be moving in a few weeks, and if everything goes well, you'll probably see a drop-off in content for probably two full weeks, the week before, during, and after, I guess, so maybe stretching on to three weeks. Um, you know, obviously there's a bunch of very amazing contributors to Retro RGB, but they do that for fun in their spare time. So I would not ever want to put pressure on them to pick up the slack of something that I do full time. So, uh, you know, just my uh, my apologies. Hopefully I have everybody's understanding. I haven't really taken a break in three years. So I feel like, uh, you know, a few weeks to, to move and get settled into a new place is fair. <laughs> so, or maybe it's not. I'm sure you'll all let me know in the comments if it's not. But either way, I just wanted to give a heads up that you probably see a drop off in content and then it'll pick back up to normal once I'm unpacked. But I'll be doing a lot of live streams of like setting up the new office and all this stuff, but I don't want to jinx it. I'll make sure I'm in there first before I before I say it, but hopefully it'll all fall into place. Anyway, let's uh, jump into the news and see what we got this week. Another order of RetroTink 5Xs went up and sold right out immediately last week. However, Mike said that there will be more batches soon. I think there's going to be another batch coming in August and another batch in September. And these are in stock when they go up on sale. They're not pre-orders. So anytime there's going to be, at least in the foreseeable few months, anytime you see a sale go up, they're going to ship pretty much immediately, and they have. Uh, Mike and Mrs. RetroTank have been packing these things and getting them out immediately, and it's really impressive to see how quickly they've shown up at people's houses. So while I'm sure there are still a ton of disappointed people that didn't get them, just be patient. There's a global part shortage, and Mike is bent over backwards to still manage to get a couple runs of product out during a part shortage. So, you know, it stinks when you can't get the product you want, but at the same time, um, you know, you got to commend the effort that's being put into this. So, uh, you know, just stay tuned, uh, pay attention to Mike's Twitter, and we'll update everybody when they go up on sale again. I don't think that fell into place the right way last week. I think I talked about the firmware update, but I wasn't sure when they were going back on sale. So always just keep an eye on RetroRGB.com as well, because I, I did give a few days notice um, before they went up on sale from when we posted this. So, uh, you know, just a big shout out and a thanks to Mike for, for making all of this happen. And if you didn't get yours, don't worry, more are coming very soon, sooner than last time. Vitor Vilela has just released another update to the Super Mario World widescreen hack. We actually missed the middle of this. Uh, so Chris had posted when this had hit beta, uh, I think it was still private beta, and showed off a couple of screenshots of how cool it would be to play this in widescreen. And I think all of us kind of forgot to post when the, the first edition was released. But now Vitor released one that supports 16.9, 16.10, 2.1, 18 and uh, 18.5 to 9 aspect ratios. So you basically could go from widescreen to really freaking widescreen. Uh, and for anybody that's unaware of this, they are, this is not stretching the game at all. This is retaining the same vertical height and adding more gameplay space to the left and right of the screen, which is pretty incredible because that is a game changer for a bunch of games. And starting with Super Mario World, I, I think that's, that's really great that we have that option. Now, Vitor also added something called pixel stretching, which is really cool because now you could select which version of the patch that you want based on, do you like the original four by three aspect ratio that you would have seen on a CRT? 
or are you somebody that has played Super Nintendo through emulation your whole life and you prefer the square pixel look and now you could choose. Uh, and there's no stretching. You don't have to worry about shimmering like you do in, um, in any kind of uh, video processor or stuff like that. So I was able to use the version with pixel stretching and give it a try. And I didn't play too much of it, but it seemed really awesome. I think the I could be wrong, but I believe Ron Handlebar Gamer played through the widescreen edition, um, and I don't think he found any problems with it. Maybe small stuff, but certainly nothing game-breaking. Uh, and I just, I really appreciate stuff like this, because I've always been a fan of software emulation, but I prefer to use it, just my preference, not, you know, not a rule or anything, but I prefer to use it when you could do something that you can't do on original hardware, and this is definitely one of them. And uh, one of these days, once I, I have access to more of my stuff and I could do a pretty cool setup, I would love to try to do like a 240p widescreen and send that to my BVM to see how this looks on a CRT in widescreen with run-ahead mode turned on so it's the same amount of latency and stuff like that. But I'll do all those tests in the future. Uh, if you would like to do that stuff now, uh, go right ahead. Everything is released for free. Although if you do want to support VTOR's work, the link to the Patreon is in there as well. So um, yeah, definitely check it out. This is really cool. And it's a big deal for not just Super Mario World fans, but fans of Super Nintendo games that like emulation, because VTOR is also looking into working on other games to make a true widescreen addition to it to have more screen space added. So uh, very, very cool to see this stuff. Thank you to VTOR. And I'm looking forward to really sitting down and playing through a game like this. Retro Fighters has just launched and successfully funded a Kickstarter for wireless PlayStation controllers. It's their typical Retro Fighters style of controller, so kind of feels like Xbox 360-esque, um, but it's for the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. They don't mention Bluetooth, but they do mention 2.4 gigahertz wireless, so I'm assuming that's RF wireless, which means depending on where you live, you should be able to get some pretty good, or at least there's potential for pretty good performance out of it. Um, you know, if you live in a city, you're going to have way worse performance than if you live out in the middle of nowhere. And same thing with the length. They're saying it should get up to 30 feet, but if you live in the burbs, it can go a lot farther than that. If you live in the, you know, the center of New York City, you probably get a good 10 feet out of it, but that's cool. They were, you know, they were pretty conservative, I would say, in their ratings. Same with the 10-hour battery life for it. Uh, and it comes in four colors, clear blue, clear green, black, and that same type of gray that you, that's reminiscent of the original PlayStation's color. And overall, I, I think it's great, but I am kind of curious as to how PlayStation fans think about this. Because um, for me personally, I've always liked the PlayStation controller. It was never my favorite, but I always thought it was really good. But every time I pick up a PlayStation controller from any generation, I immediately get that familiar feeling. So you don't have to learn where new buttons are. You don't have to learn how to hold your hands different. And, you know, obviously, even though the PlayStation 4 and 5 controllers are a far evolution from the original PlayStation 1 controller, it's that same kind of muscle memory. You know, you could have somebody that grew up on PS3 grab a PS1 or PS5 controller, and it's only a few minutes to adjust. So I'm wondering how hardcore PlayStation fans are going to think about this. You know, is it just a cool idea to have a wireless controller rather than just buying a cheap extension cable for the existing controller? Um, is the ergonomics of it just slightly different, so it's going to be annoying for people that have played their whole lives on PlayStation controllers. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. So uh, if you're a hardcore PlayStation fan, let me know. For me personally, anything I have muscle memory on, I definitely would prefer that. But 
I mean, I'm not a pro gamer. I'm barely even good at games. I don't even know if I would call myself good at games at all. So, uh, but I don't think that really matters. I really just think it's more of a a feel and an interaction, right? Because a controller is supposed to be an extension of yourself. So I'd love to hear everybody's feedback on what they think. But either way, uh, Retro Fighters has had a pretty good reputation for delivering on their Kickstarters. They've been late on some, but they've always delivered. They've never taken their, anybody's money and walked away. So I would feel comfortable supporting this one if you wanted one of these. And I'm looking forward to hearing everybody's thoughts. Ikari has just released a beta firmware for the FX pack or SD to SNES that rolls up a lot of the additions that the community members have submitted in the past few years, as well as some bug fixes and tweaks of his own to improve those and add other things. So if you own any of these FX pack, FX packs, Pro, SD2, SNES, any of those, I would strongly recommend upgrading and trying this out. Um, I deliberately hung out about a week before posting on this just to see if there were any kind of um, bugs or things that needed to get worked over, but Akari did a great job, and there really, there aren't, I wouldn't say there's bugs, but there's the same things that you'll probably always run into, like you might have to turn off in-game uh, controls for certain games and stuff like that, so it's basically the same, the same that you might run into with any firmware, but it integrates the Super Game Boy support, save states, and a bunch of other really cool things. So this is a, a pretty big deal. Um, also, if you want to try this firmware and something, for whatever reason, something doesn't work, all you have to do is take the current SD to SNES folder, rename it like underscore original or old or today's date or whatever, download the new one, and it, if you need to go back, delete the new folder, rename the other one back to SD to SNES and reboot and that's it. So it's perfectly safe to switch between firmwares on this. Um, there's no locking or anything like that. So I would absolutely give it a try. Um, there are a ton of additions. So I didn't even bother putting those in the, uh, in the post here. I just, uh, you know, I would suggest you go right to Akari's post on his blog. Um, the one thing that I did think it was cool enough to show was just that, and I know this is something that's been available, but I just wanted to reiterate this. You could have a Super Game Boy 1 border, but run it at the clock speed of a Super Game Boy 2. So if you're a fan of the original borders or you want that nostalgia or anything like that, you have the ability to do that to switch between them. So um, I thought that was pretty neat. Just make sure to put the Super Game Boy 1 underscore boot dot bin and underscore SNES dot bin Super Game Boy 1 and 2 uh, right in the SD to SNES folder. So that's basically like the BIOS files and stuff like that, which are the things that we're not allowed to link to. So just do some creative Googling and you should be able to, to take care of that. No problem. And of course, if you want to hear directly from Akari, please check out the interview we did a few years ago. A uh, very awesome person. I, I was, uh, had a great time talking to him and I'm so appreciative of all the work that he's done. So uh, if you own an FX pack or an SD to SNES, it's, uh, it's an exciting day. You got all of those awesome features rolled up into one firmware. And although Akari is calling it beta, it seems pretty stable to me. Voltar and I just did a live stream testing two products from HD Fury, the Vertex 2 and the Diva. And I'll start out by saying these are pro-level products. Um, you know, these are not things every retro gamer would need, but there are things, they are products that I wanted to test to see how I could integrate their features into a setup and if it was something that some people might benefit from. And the good news is it didn't seem to be affected at all by odd timings from the open source scan converter. It didn't add any lag at all. And one question that a lot of people had, it did pass true uncompressed 444 color through as long as you got the settings right. But on the other side of that, 
these are pro-level products. These are things that, you know, professional streamers who do live events might benefit from, or people that just really want the utmost control over their HDMI signal. But all of the basic features, the HDMI switching, the um, the EDID support, the inputting a 4K signal and outputting both a 4K and a 1080p for people who want, like, you know, to game on your flat panel 4K TV but stream through a 1080p card, all of these features are available through very cheap devices. Um, so I, I would only look into these products if you need all of these features combined in one setting that has a really cool web interface where if you if you need a full control interface, that's what you want. If you're looking for an HDMI switch, this is not what you want. So, you know, they are pretty expensive, um, you know, especially if you consider like uh, you want to buy an Avermedia Live Gamer 4K to support 4K capture. That's going to be cheaper than buying one of these to support 1080p downscaling. There are like $30 boxes that do that. So by no means am I insulting these things. I'm just saying, you know, I used, I think in the stream and in the post, I used the analogy of it's like a, a gigabit switch you buy for your house versus a managed gigabit switch, right? You'd, you know, you'd be kind of an idiot to say, oh, well, that managed switch is stupid. Why do you need to log in to get it working? Because it's like, it's two completely different use cases. One, you just plug some stuff in and it works like HDMI splitters, HDMI switches. And the other one is designed to be in a pro environment where you control every port, every aspect. And I feel like that's what these are. So uh, these aren't going to be for most people, but the people that do need them are probably going to love these things. So I don't know if I'd recommend watching the live stream, uh, but I would recommend at least checking out the post. And as for the live stream, um, I really want to do more like this. I want to do more of, here's what it's like to look at a product that you have no prior knowledge of other than skimming through the manual before you get it. And here's what it's like to use it. Because uh, I, I think a lot of people might appreciate, well, maybe not a lot, but I think a few people would appreciate the whole, this is what it's like to be a reviewer. This is what it's like to check out a product for the first time. Because I think, you know, as you get older and as you get good at what you do for a living, most adults seem to forget that the first time that you do something, you're essentially a child doing it because you don't have any previous experience. And of course, Voltar and I took the time to severely make fun of me for, for the simple basic mistakes I was making, which made me laugh very hard, and I, I certainly appreciated the lightheartedness of it, but I think it's really cool to see a view into what it's like to start something for the first time. Um, and it all, also does kind of crack me up, because I've talked to many people over the years that are like, I'm making this up, by the way, but like, well, I know more lag about lag than you do, because I have a PhD. No, no, no. You know a lot more about whatever it is that you have a PhD in than I will ever know. But just because you have a PhD in astrophysics doesn't mean you're an expert in everything in the whole world. And I've run into a lot of uh, adults that, that kind of forget that every time you learn something new, you know, you're, you're starting from scratch. So I'm very happy to make an ass of myself in these streams. Uh, I don't really care if people make fun of me for it because it's what most people would go through if you use these products for the first time. And it also shows what else could go wrong. So I had so many problems with the EDID control, but I had no idea. Was it my laptop? It wasn't. Turned out to not be that at all. Was it the configuration file? Was it 
you know, a cable. And that's something that when you're reviewing products, you got to really be careful about because, you know, it would be horrible for me to do a review on something and say, this thing stinks and find out that my setting was wrong or my cable was wrong. And I've done that once. Luckily, the product was total garbage anyway. So the one thing that I got wrong really didn't matter because I don't think anybody should ever buy the product anyway. But um, that still bugs me because I got it wrong and it wasn't their fault. And I don't ever want to do that. So uh, I guess I'll stop rambling about this now because I rambled for two hours in the, the damn live stream. But um, I'm going to be doing a lot more stuff like this, especially if I can get a, a setup environment that allows me to have like a bigger table to work on so I could spread out and really do these testings in real time. But I, I think it's kind of cool for, for my fellow nerds. But I don't think it's it's for everybody. So I was kind of going back and forth. Do I... Do I do these streams on both YouTube and Twitch? Do I only do Twitch? You know, do I only do YouTube? And I think the while I got a lot more people viewing on YouTube, I think the right answer is Twitch because I also am not going to get a lot of views on stuff like this. And I've already seen live streams start to kill the algorithm a little bit, even more than they've already banished me to. So I think Twitch is the answer, but I will always listen to any of your feedback. Unless it's Twitch is stupid, it's for, you know, Twitch is for assholes. No, I'm, I'm not listening to that. But if you have a real answer and a real suggestion based on your thoughts on where I should be streaming, please let me know. I'm all ears. But I feel like going forward... Maybe for things like interviews that would stay on YouTube anyway, I could do that on both. But I think for stuff like this that might not even turn into a video, um, I think Twitch is probably the right answer. But I'm all ears, whatever suggestions you all have. The store Phenom Mod is now accepting pre-orders on a batch of Neo SD loaders. And some quick background on the project. The Neo SD loader is an optical drive emulator for the Neo Geo CD that was designed by Furtech. And Furtech decided that he was going to design and make a batch of these, sell them all, recoup the costs to make sure that there wasn't a loss on the project, and then open source it for other people to deal with. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Furtech did a first run of them. Uh, they're great. There was some uh, even a recent firm, semi-recent firmware update on it that added some new features and stuff like that. And then Furtech decided they were done with the project and now it's open sourced and anybody could make them. And Phenomod stepped up to the plate and decided to make a new batch for people, which is cool because I'd been getting a bunch of messages in the past few months of people who really wanted one of these and they weren't able to purchase them. So, you know, I know I say this all the time and it's probably annoying, but I'm so, so appreciative of developers that want to do this. Now, of course, if you're a developer and you want to keep your product closed, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a closed source product and you decide, okay, I don't have time to support it anymore. I don't want to deal with having a run made in a part shortage. You know, I'm walking away from the project. That's when I'm, I really appreciate people taking the time to open source it because now it's not just a dead project, leaving a bunch of people scalping them on eBay and a bunch of other people really wanting them. So, you know, if you have a product and you want to sell it, go for it. Don't feel any pressure to open source it if it's your own product that you made from scratch. But if when the time comes that you're done with it, open source it to the community or at least strongly consider it so that things like this could happen. I think everybody kind of wins in these situations. So um, the only other thing to note about this, I believe this is the version that has a micro SD card extension, not an SD card extension, which means that you're able to install this and leave the CD drive in. This could be a no-cut mod that you place the micro SD in one of the vent slots, 
and uh, you could decide between using original discs and the ROMs or ISOs off of a, a micro SD card, which is my favorite way to use optical drive emulators. I really wish more ODEs would figure out a way to have this feature. I know it's impossible on some consoles. I totally get it but not on all. So I would really like to see this for future consoles going forward because there are a bunch of us that have a collection of discs that they just want to continue to use. Sometimes it's nostalgia, sometimes it's OCD where it's like, no, I want the exact original that I used to play. I, I definitely have a bit of that too. So that's why I'm co very confident making fun of that because that's me sometimes like, no, I want to use the exact thing that I had, even though it's bit for bit identical to the other thing. Like I get that. So uh, it's very cool that we have the option for stuff like this. So thank you to Furtech. Thanks to Phenom Mod for putting a batch of these up for sale. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more optical drive emulators with the option of keeping the optical drive as well. Last week, Steam announced the Steam Deck, which is essentially a portable PC that allows you to play games that you would download from Steam. And a lot of other places covered it. I'm not going to go into detail because there's a lot of really great places that have in-depth coverage of what this claims to be, but I'll give the full basic rundown, I guess. Um, this is a portable console, kind of Switch-esque in, uh, in look and feel, but it's really designed to be a portable PC. And there's a different versions available. The cheapest is 400, which comes with a 64 gig eMMC storage. And then there's a $530 version with 256 gig uh, NVMe SSD, which should be a pretty big speed bump. Um, and then you could just get a more expensive version for 650 with 512 gigabytes of NVMe storage in it. The expected ship date is pretty much a year from now. Um, and that might even change depending. So uh, you don't, I don't believe you have to put the full amount of money up front. I think you could just uh, pay to have a reservation for one and then they're going to charge later on. At least that's what I heard last week. Maybe it's changed since then or something, but I think that's a pretty cool way uh, to to kind of reserve yours and, and make sure that you could kind of go back on it. Maybe a year from now, you'll go, eh, never mind. This isn't what I thought. But either way, I think personally, it looks really cool. I think it's if you are somebody who is a gamer on the go, this might be a really great choice, even though it's not cheap. But considering what you're getting, I wouldn't call it overpriced at all. I think it's a pretty fair price on this. Um, the one point that Chris made in the post that um, I, I really wanted to reiterate is that while this probably will be a great emulation box, I agree with Chris's opinion that you might not want to drop 400 bucks on an emulation box. I mean, yes, it'll probably run Dolphin really well, which is great, but if you just wanted a handheld emulation machine, there's much cheaper things that you could pick up. Um, even used devices out there that were more expensive that you could probably turn into a very cool and very capable emulation box. But if you're going to buy this for PC games, then it would also be a great use for that as well. So, um, you know, definitely check out the post if you want more info um, and links to the full specs and info on the device itself. But overall, I think it's really cool. Um, I'm not more, I'm not so much a handheld gamer. I really prefer the rare times I get to sit and play. I like a couch and a big TV, but I do see a huge audience for this. And I think it's probably going to be a good seller. Um, well, not probably. They, they, their servers crashed for quite a long time when they opened pre-orders on these. So I think it already is a big seller, but I guess we'll have to wait a year to find out how it actually performs. Uh, but we'll see. 
Last week, I did a stream with Tianfeng that tested a brand new Genesis console, and I really wanted to talk about it now, even though the video's not done, because we found a problem that wasn't even really a problem. So uh, I'll give the quick rundown, and then I'll explain what I mean afterwards. But I wanted to get this info out for anybody that caught the stream and might have thought, oh no, I bought one, is it bad? Or I don't want to buy one, there is no problem, or it might be a very small problem, but allow me to explain. Um, this is a Genesis console that is a brand new motherboard designed from scratch that uses new old stock Genesis on a chips. Now, this is the same chip that's in the Genesis Model 3 that does not support 32X or Master System and can never. It's not built into the chip at all, uh, which is fine. You know, that's not a requirement for this. However, it does support Sega CD via ROM carts, not a, a, a real original Sega CD, and it does support all Genesis games. The video output on RGB is crystal clear, no jail bars. The video output on composite video is impressive good. I have never seen a Genesis look that good with composite. S-Video Out wasn't perfect, but, uh, you know, it's still better than composite, and I think it's a good choice for people who might have something like a consumer-grade TV that doesn't go all the way up to RGB. And the one problem that we ran into is when we had a bunch of accessories connected. So a wireless controller, the HD retrovision cables, and a Mega SD or Mega EverDrive Pro, it wouldn't work right. You know, the, it wouldn't provide enough power. So we were afraid, you know, we, we first checked a bunch of the PSUs I was using to make sure that wasn't it. But we were afraid maybe there was something wrong with the power design on the board. And the power design is perfect. The fuse that was used was just specced at right about the limit. Uh, so that's the only problem. And in fact, I think this is a good thing because the designer of this product went a step further because there are no fuses on original Genesis products. So I personally, you know, I know everybody's not going to agree with me, but I personally think that erring on the side of caution, adding a fuse for protection, and then realizing, oh, I probably should expect a higher amperage fuse. I think that's a good thing because they were really looking into making this product as robust as possible as, you know, and to really support all of these different use cases. Now, the ones that they tested, they tested it with a Mega EverDrive Pro with a wireless controller. Uh, I don't know if they had HD retrovisions, but if not, I'll try to send them a pair. Uh, but the one they tested was absolutely fine. So it's probably one of those things where when you buy components with tolerances in them, so you might have heard resistors with 5% or 1% tolerance, I probably got a fuse in mine uh, that was a 5 or 10% tolerant fuse that wasn't as good as the other ones in the batch. So it's a very minor problem. You could just jump the fuse together, drop a, a blob of solder right on top. Um, but I think because they took the time to add this little bit of safety protection, it should stay in. So uh, I've, I'm going to be ordering a, a new part from DigiKey. I want to make sure to show uh, exactly what I did to switch it in case you've already purchased one that maybe had the issue, but it's a super, super easy fix. Anybody with a tiny bit of patience could do it. It's a surface mount component, but it's not the hardest thing in the world based on location. If you get tweezers and a soldering iron, you should be okay. Flux will probably help. And any of the newer ones being sold will have the bigger fuse. 
But I, I just, even though I'm going to have a video out, I'm going to basically take footage of this live stream and cut it up with white box shots and uh, other, you know, other things like uh, direct captures and stuff like that. I wanted to mention it now just because the team that's working on this put a lot of effort into making this a quality product. And I just, anybody that saw the stream, the conclusion was, well, they have to fix the power problem because that's a big deal. I, I just wanted to make sure to get the word out there there wasn't really a power circuit problem. It was just one bad component on my motherboard, uh, which is why I felt the need to ramble for five minutes about this. I, I don't want to ever sling mud unless it's deserved, and this is an awesome little product. It's not for everybody. It's obviously, you know, you could get an amazing Genesis core inside the Mister. If you want original hardware with the original case that you grew up looking at, this isn't for you. But if you want something that is absolutely a real Genesis, but on a brand new motherboard, with a new design, with great video output. It, it passed uh, MD Fourier testing with flying colors. It's an excellent audio source. Um, it's even got a headphone jack that sounded pretty good. So if that's the type of weird new product you're looking for, this is definitely something that you're going to want to check out. And if not, it's probably still going to be a mildly entertaining video when I get a chance to release it, hopefully this weekend or next or something like that. So I'll stop rambling about it, but I just wanted to clear that up and make sure everybody knew. Uh, I think it's an awesome product and there really isn't anything wrong with it. There was just one misspec fuse that's very easy to change with a soldering iron. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, and especially, thank you to everybody who supports in any way. Whether it's the monthly support services, tipping on YouTube, or even just clicking on the eBay and Amazon links and buying the same thing you were going to buy for the same price, but, you know, giving me a penny of the sale through affiliate links. It is you who's keeping all of these videos, all of this research, and everything else going. So, thank you all so much, and I will see you next week. <laughs>